Yo, 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 welcome to episode 10. Patrick James here, hashtag Raw and Relentless, the podcast. If you're listening to this, this is the audio-only version. And what's a good Easter egg? Chris, what's a good Easter egg to put in here for the audio-only people? Chimichangas. Yo, if you comment chimichangas in a review of this podcast, literally write a review wherever you're listening to this, Spotify, Apple, and you, you incorporate the word chimichangas into the review, I will Venmo you 50 bucks. Not everybody, but I'm going to pick one person who does it and I'm going to Venmo you 50 bucks. So there's your little Easter egg. But anyways, man, on this episode, episode 10, we got Mike Shower on the podcast. And now Chris is over there writing review right now, chimichangas. <laughs> um, so on this episode, we got Mike Shower. Now, if you're into entrepreneurship, if you're into copywriting, and I'm not talking about getting your book copyrighted. I'm talking about writing persuasive copy that makes someone want to take action. Mike is a genius at this kind of stuff and he started his own website. He coded it himself too. It's called swipe.co where it's a massive swipe file of all the most persuasive writing you've ever heard. And then he breaks it down line by line. So that's pretty cool. That's his website. That's what he does day to day to, to make a living. But on this episode, we go deep on different topics that range in all, all, all over the spectrum. You already know how we do on Raw and Relentless. So we talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about the Jersey Shore. This man literally looks like uh, a guy who could have been cast on Jersey Shore. He even has the same Jersey accent. So if you want to see what Mike even looks like, make sure you go hop over to the YouTube channel, hashtag Raw and Relentless, and check us out over there because I know you guys obviously love those little Easter eggs on the audio-only version. And then lastly, one thing I want to throw in here, Mike is really big into numerology. Now, I've never met someone who's into numerology that wasn't a woman, but uh, I'd never really even looked into numerology that seriously myself. And one of the crazy things that he said on this episode was how the number four is a lucky number for him, especially the number 44. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But then literally a couple days ago, I saw another high level entrepreneur on Instagram talking about four, 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 and how it's a good luck for him. And I asked this guy about it. I was like, yo, is this really a thing? And he sent me a voice memo. He goes, yo, the number four, it's a good, it's, it symbolizes angels. It symbolizes good luck. It symbolizes prosperity. I was like, yo, okay, maybe this numerology thing has something to look into. So anyways, man, this will really open up your eyes as far as business, entrepreneurship, numerology, and yes, we even talk about UFOs at some point in the podcast. So you already know how we do. Sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself some more and more. So we are live. We got my good friend, Mike Shower here. Um, for the listeners who don't know, Mike Shower, he's a copywriter. He has swiped.co. He created that himself, but he's also deep in a lot of the conspiracies that we talk about here on this channel, Raw and Relentless. So welcome, Mike. Yes, thank you for having me, man. I, I know this is going to be good. Yeah, man, of course. I'm like, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You are literally the first of like five that we're filming this week so we can get ahead of of the schedule on this. Uh, But um, I'm looking forward to it because I know like just between you and I, we've we've, uh, hung out at different events and stuff and, and we just, I feel like we relate on a lot. And also you're, you're like one of the uncasted members of the Jersey Shore that nobody knows about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm in the uh the bonus episodes you got to pay to see those mm, got it yeah. behind that paywall the only fans right yeah me and my girlfriend will talk about that sometimes that we could have probably tried out and made it on the show 
I mean, yeah. I'm originally from New York, but most of the people that are actually Snooky is from the area that I lived in for a while, Poughkeepsie in upstate New York. So most people don't know that a lot of the members aren't from Jersey. Really? And meanwhile, the people that, people that aren't familiar with Jersey, they often associate New Jersey with people that are kind of from New York. <laughs> but it's all it's the same it's the same yeah. flavor man. It's yeah same. i'm gonna yeah. i i i feel like i don't want to add in what i was gonna say i was like is jersey in new york because i'm the worst at geography bro oh well dude i am literally i'm on the hudson river and i see new york but i'm in new jersey mm. so just to confuse you even more that's where i live i i'm right in the middle of your confusion Got it. So, so it's literally just separated by a river. Yeah, like the New York City. If I just walk a few feet, I can see New York City. Oh wow! But I don't, I don't need to be in the city. Like I'm good. I'm, I'm only twenty minutes away. If I yeah. just drive my car in or take an Uber or something, so mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine being out here, taking it a little bit easier. It's yes. not like it's, it's a desolate over here, but it's a little bit of a break. I've only been in New York once and this just goes to show how much I was paying attention because now that you say that I do remember being on one of those boat tours and they're like that's Jersey this is New York yeah and they probably said Jersey in a very derogatory way like yeah that's New Jersey <laughs> yeah I love I love it here though is is there like a big difference in the demographic like you just go over the bridge and immediately it's a difference or what Oh, dude, like what's so great about this area, about New York, about New Jersey, and I'm originally from New York and I've lived in different areas, but everywhere I've gone, what I really love about, you know, New York, New Jersey is the melting pot aspect of it. And I know that other cities, they have that to an extent, but do nothing, nothing compares to New York, New Jersey. If I just take, if you were here and I'm like, let's take a half hour drive, we would be in areas where there would be Dominicans. Cubans, Colombians, there's a huge Korean area. A bunch of Italians used to live here. My girlfriend is Cuban, there was a huge Cuban community. Um, and then you go into like, there's a big Turkish community. And of course, all those places, they have really good restaurants too. So you get to enjoy like the flavors of that, that culture and then forget it. If you go into New York, it's the same thing. So I, I think that was a big part of like my own upbringing and what allows me to connect with different people. Like people would definitely benefit from being in an area like that, at least for a little bit. Yeah. I yeah. feel like if I was single, man, I would love to live in New York. But when I visited, I'd already been in a relationship with my girls. So I was like, damn, there's a lot here that I feel like I won't ever get to enjoy. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I guess you're saying from like a single standpoint. Yeah. The yeah. nightlife alone, like I didn't get the chance to go out to any of the nightlife in New York, which I, I really want to, but I was also there with my mom. So that's part of the reason why. <laughs> um, and that blew my mind, bro. Like when you said there's that Korean community, like literally we walked in to that because she's Korean. So we had to go to the Korean Koreatown. Is that what they call it? Koreatown? Well, they're in New York. So New York in the city that's more so known for Chinatown. There, there's Korean pockets, but the real, like, the biggest Korean area is in New Jersey. But a lot of people don't know about that. It's, like, right over the bridge when you're coming from New York. But, yeah, anyway, Dang. so you, you saw some Koreans in New York? 
Like, yeah, like, man. Like, we went there like two or three times. My mom made us go. So we had to go eat Korean barbecue in New York City. Wow. If she knew the best spot for Koreans was in Jersey, we probably would have gone to Jersey because <laughs> she loves okay. Korean barbecue. Yes, dude. Korean barbecue. So I'm kind of a rookie to Korean barbecue. I never oh. fully, I, I got a little turned off this one experience I had uh, because I don't know, for whatever reason, I feel like people in so, certain cultures, Hispanics too, they don't mind eating fatty meat. Mm. Maybe it's a, more of an American thing where I don't like to eat too much fat. And sometimes the, the place I went to was just so fatty where I just felt like I was eating pieces of fat. And meanwhile, you see everyone around me seemingly fully enjoying what they're eating. Yeah. Um, but that, that was just one experience I had. I'm, I also got a little bit turned off. This was funny because my girlfriend, she, she'll have tofu and stuff sometimes. I'm not really into that. And outside of this one place I went to, I saw them bringing in buckets of tofu. <laughs> like in fucking buckets yeah. and you just see this jiggling substance inside of buckets it's like how is this appetizing and meanwhile that's put in a lot of different things so I, if i go to korean barbecue i have to be very particular about yeah. what i order um do you but, remember what you were eating at the korean barbecue place no this was a while ago uh I, it was some sort of it was something reminiscent of some kind of spare rib or something like that some kind of short rib Got it. Of that, of that sort. I think I know what you're talking about now. It's it's Colby, and it's got like the three bones in it. Is that what I'm? Oh, so that's probably it. Yeah. It definitely has a lot of fat on there, but man, does it taste so good? Yeah. Um, there's this other stuff that you got to try. It's called bulgogi, and it's like, uh, it's like, it's like steak sliced. It's like the beef and stuff. Um, mm. and it's just like little pieces of steak, but they marinate it overnight. And my mom makes her own marinade because she's like fresh off the boat Korean. And she's like, the really? secret ingredient is kiwi juice because it just makes it so juicy and tender when you cook it. And so, yeah, man, I, maybe you just need to go with the right people. <laughs> yeah, that's totally what I need to do. That's yeah. absolutely. So did yeah. you feel like everybody was like enjoying it and then you were sitting there just like trying to enjoy it, but then acting like you enjoyed it when you really weren't? Yeah, well, I, I, I never really act that I'm enjoying something, but... At the same time, I enjoyed the experience of just experiencing something new. It's like when you go to a new country and you may feel completely out of place and like you may not be enjoying something, but at the same time, it's like this is pretty fucking cool because I've never done, I've never had this particular type of experience before. So I wasn't, it, it, it's just when you have, and this is another thing in New York, New Jersey area, dude, there's so many good places to eat. So when you have so many places to eat, like there has to be someone like you that comes to visit me or is like, dude, let's go out for, for Korean. And that kind of nudges me back in that direction. So then I, I get back into it again, because otherwise there's just, there's so much selection. Like, why would I go, why would I try that place again? Yeah. 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 Do you ever, uh, do you ever hang out with Brandon Carter over there in New York city? Uh, I've, I've met with him a few times. Yeah, I mean, we're friends. I don't hang out with him that much. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, like, in Midtown. Yeah. I've been through a spot before. I, um, yeah, I mean, since I've only been there once, that's, that's immediately what I thought about. Because, like, you hear about all the shit going on in the news right now and, like, how yeah. Times Square is empty. And literally the only way I'm keeping up with, like, the state of New York and what's going on over there, because I'm not watching the news. I just watch Brandon Carter's Instagram story. <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'll watch this every once in a while yeah um, 
I haven't been to New York in a while just because of the the state of it and with not too much open there's there's really no uh no yeah. reason to go over there you know I was walking around um by my apartment here the other night and I came across this couple's really nice couple and I was just talking to them about you know different shit that's going on and they're like yeah we're, we're gonna move to Florida now we've been in the business uh the club business we've been operating nightclubs and stuff for a while in new york yeah in new york i don't know have you ever heard of the copacabana mm -mm. okay so this was like a really uh old club like old school club back in the day that used to be used to be mafia owned okay um but but they i guess somehow got involved with it and bought it afterwards and moved it to times square and they, this guy owned it for like 20 years it was an african-american couple 20 years they owned it and um, he's like, they just said, screw it, because it's, it, they were like, it's not the same. And I guess because the rent is so high, they didn't even want to bother. So he said he's going to open up a club in Florida on the water, and he figures that'll be a good bet for him. Yeah. So is yeah. this, is this kind of his response to the whole COVID thing and everything shutting down? Yes, but also this kind of coincides with, I think, a plan that they had to move to Florida anyway mm. to do something like this. So it, it's kind of like how a lot of people right now, they're choosing to make decisions that they kind of were thinking about before, but they accelerated the decision making. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've had any instance, instances yeah. like that, but where you were thinking about something before and because of the situation, it like pushed it forward and made it more important. Yeah. So I think I think that's what really happened to them, because I've seen people out lately at bars in the area and they're packed. They're packed around here. <laughs> so I don't I don't know how much of a problem it would have been for him. I think they were looking for a reason to, to leave. Mm. Mm. I feel the same way with the podcast, bro. Like I started this maybe two weeks ago at this point. Um, and and like the week that I started the podcast, Joe Rogan's Spotify deal happens. It was like the day I was starting to film the first episode. And so I'd already had all this stuff coming in the mail, the lights, the, the studio equipment, the chairs and whatnot. Um, and this is like an idea I'd been sitting on for probably end of 2018. Uh, I was talking about how I feel like podcasts are the new wave. And then Brian Moncada, who you know, uh, yeah. me and him were both talking about starting our own podcast literally a year, over a year ago. And we just never bit the bullet or jumped the gun on it. And then finally, when this all happened and my business had to literally change because my business plan this year was supposed to be, I was going to run three boot camps where like these are boot camps where guys pay uh, several thousand dollars to come and each boot camp has 30 guys there. And we had a documentary around it and everything. And I was already having three planned this year and I had to cancel two of them and just move the guys who were already reserved for those to the one at the end of the year. And I'm still wondering if I have to move that one back because we don't know when everything is going to open up. But I'm just trying to figure out, well, what do I do next? What do I do now since I'm not selling out boot camps? And uh, this podcast actually was kind of the baby of that. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I hear so many stories like that now where people finally are – and. I don't think we necessarily like our group of friends has that problem of pulling the trigger, but this really has been a catalyst and I've seen so many positive things come from this. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of people, it's hard for them to see past the negativity, but 
it's all what you choose to look at. Yeah. You know, I, I don't pay, and I, I'm sure, you know, we, we pay attention to certain news sources, but I don't really pay attention to what's going on anymore <laughs> too yeah. much about current events. It's like just enough because I feel like I find out what I need to know somehow through a friend, through parents. My parents play, pay plenty of attention to the news. Like I don't need to watch any news to, to be on top of things unless I want to be. Yeah. I feel like now that I have a podcast, if I'm planning on this thing growing and having a huge audience one day, which I'm, I'm obviously going for, right? Uh, I almost have felt this weird, almost, what's the right word? It's not a need, but it's like an obligation to stay relevant with what's going on because I got to be able to talk about it on my podcast. If I eventually have an audience, they might be influenced by what we're talking about, you know? Yeah, I hear you on that. I hear you. No, I mean, it's, it's good to, I think maybe people feel like they have to be more aware exactly of what's going on than they have to. Like mm -hmm. what I'm thinking of is more like, yeah, I'm aware that protests are going on. I'm aware of the racism thing. I'm aware of these different things that are going on, but I don't look too deep into them because I like, unless I want to, unless I feel like it's relevant for me and I want to, but otherwise, I guess what I'm saying is I will look for the foundation of like what's going on and create my own spin in a sense of like how I, what I think is the most empowered perspective. And then maybe from there, I'll look into things because otherwise you can, you can fall into that trap of reading, 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 tell, hearing like what is the story. And, and then you feel like, well, that's the story versus if you stay a little bit disconnected from it, it allows you to like be that alchemist, right? And kind of create your own spin. Yeah. You be the spinner, you know? Yeah. Dude, that's yeah. interesting. So um, uh, kind of like, I feel like maybe your mentality around that, I'm curious, did you discover that through any of the copywriting that you do? Because obviously you built a whole website and everything. And with copywriting, I feel like, cause I'm coaching a guy on my team who normally helps me with the podcast. He's like my marketing assistant. I'm trying to teach this guy copywriting. And it seems like sometimes he's just not getting it, but he's also really young. And I feel like sometimes if I'm writing good copy, it's because I have life experience or I have a lot of different experiences that draw from that gives me more of the creative side to that. So you staying a little bit detached to add creativity to your own perspective. Do you feel like that came from copywriting at all? I think it's all intertwined, you know, like I, I'm realizing more and more, um, especially as I come into more of what I would say, like what I'm passionate about and just kind of living my passion as fully as I can is everything for the way I see it anyway and how I see it in other people's lives too, is things become so intertwined with each other where they become like more related than you think, you know, and that's, I think a part of that, um, that is kind of like a goal, I think, in terms of living a, a fully realized life where you feel like everything is kind of connected. And that way it's not this part of my life and then this part of my life and I gotta work on this side of my life where things just, yeah, there's always gonna be that separation, but it just feels more, more intertwined, more connected and, I, and, and you're able to move forward a little bit more cohesively and simply, I think. So from like a copywriting perspective, for instance, one thing that is a common thread amongst like everything that I do is I'm very much a researcher. 
So I'm someone that really likes to dig deep, which just goes along with, you know, you talked about conspiracy type stuff and just in general, like going into the unknown, investigating into the unknown. And so I think that makes me, and that's kind of my superpower with the copy stuff. Cause I, I can, I can the write copy. What's that? The research is your superpower? Research. Yeah, absolutely. That's been illuminated for me, like as I continue on this path with my site, um, is that the role for me to take, and which I have taken, is less of being the, because people always say, oh, do you, do you take on copywriting jobs? Like, do you do jobs for other people? And I don't write copy um, unless it's for my own projects, unless I'm really, you know, if I'm inspired to whatever, it's not like a hard rule. Yeah. Um, but the reason is because I've taken on this role of being the guy that helps copywriters. And I do that by, and this ties into what you were just saying, by staying on top of what people in the industry, in different industries are doing. Yeah. Right. So I've actually, it's funny that this kind of coming full circle with what we were just talking about. But I make it just like you are kind of talking about, you make it a point to stay on top of certain things for your talks. I do, that's me in the copywriting world. So that way when someone comes to me and they say, hey, I'm working on this promotion um, that involves this, this and that, I'm gonna then find specific examples that they can model. And that's my superpower really. Like there's other aspects to it, right? Like if I wasn't a good copywriter, I, I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to teach copy and do it in the way I do it. But if you were to separate one thing, it is that research aspect of it. And that going into the unknown, enjoying mystery, being curious, like be, I'm a super curious person. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of, that's kind of a parallel with you then, where um, when it comes to what you consider to be like a, a, I guess you could say, kind of like a role that you're playing, part of your role is and it, it it's exciting is to stay on top of things because you're not doing it out of out of um like all right i guess i have to stay on top of things yeah. right like you're you're excited to do it yeah i'm excited yeah. to do it but i'm also coming from the frame of if i don't stay on top of what's going on right now then i'm worried that i'll just continue to talk about aliens and, and space <laughs> <laughs> well that depends on the people you get on your show yeah and maybe and maybe that's what people want to hear you know, maybe see, I, I've, I've realized, and I'm realizing more and more, um, that I used to look into certain things because I felt like I had to mm -hmm. like having, cause, cause we talked about having like varied experience is good. Having different experiences that you can draw from, it makes you more well-rounded and stuff, but that can come from a place of just exploring what you want to explore. I don't think that has to come from a place of, well, I have these specific topics that I have to stay on top of. And then you just kind of do it like, yeah, regrettably as you're looking through stuff saying, yeah, I should stay on top of this and this and this, but you don't even enjoy it. So yeah, like, fuck that. Just, I don't know. It just, it'll come together like with what you want to look into. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how the voice of this podcast kind of evolves over time, because right now I think, especially with the current events, it has kind of, I guess, hit a little close to home. Like literally I live in downtown Phoenix right now. And when the riots were starting, 
they were marching down like right outside my window. Like this is a curtain right here. So like right outside this window, I could see all the marching, all the protesting. And I'm literally like Kate, my girlfriend, she was literally like, Hey, there's protests going on. There's protests going on. I'm sitting in here trying to get work done, probably filming a podcast. And we're on the verge of like going to bed. And I'm like, what are you talking about these pod, this, these protests? And she goes, they're right down the street. I'm watching them on Facebook right now. And she was watching a news live streaming from a helicopter. And I could hear the helicopter over me while she's saying this. And they're two blocks that way, just like breaking windows to office buildings and stuff. So I guess part of me staying relevant on that stuff was more just like out of necessity. So I can, I almost like, I legit almost went and bought a gun because I live in Arizona and anybody can get a gun here. And literally you can just carry it like with, with no license or anything just out in the open. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I, I didn't get a gun or maybe yeah. I did for all you fuckers who, tr- who might want to break in. So <laughs> don't test that. But, um, but yeah, man, it'll be interesting to see how things get normalized uh, and, and kind of what the voice becomes of this podcast. But definitely right now, I think this is going to be the 10th episode. So 10 episodes in probably half of it has just been talking about aliens and conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's fine though. That's fine. It's like, it's accepting that. And then when you change the show changes, I think Joe Rogan and, and it, I think he's such a great role model for this podcast and just for what you want to do. Yeah. Um, Cause most people, they don't follow his format because they think it's gotta be a certain niche and this and that. But there's something to be said for going into something and just letting it flow and like letting certain things come about. And at the end of the day, like something that I was talking about recently with, with someone was how like people follow people today and open up their emails and open up their stuff and like, look at this based on how much they like the person I feel. Mm-hmm. It's not based on the, the material or the subject line or that stuff as much. So once you find your people, and I know you already have kind of an audience, but it might change. It might, it might become, it'll become more like you. And then I think that's the ultimate um, scenario is where you just kind of let it go in the direction you want to go in. And you actually realize that there's other people that want to hear this shit right. <laughs> that are like you, but maybe you just might be a little bit reluctant or you don't think that there's people that want to hear that you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of on that line of thinking, like that's most of the reason why I started this podcast. Like I was telling, I think I told Caleb Maddox's who was on one of the first episodes. I was like, yo, this is the long-term plan. And I don't care if this podcast gets like shit views for a couple of years or whatever it is, because I'm going to be doing this for the next 20 years more so because I've already experienced having a niched channel, like you said, most people try to go into one niche. And I felt after five years of making hundreds of videos on that channel, it's like, it's almost like, well, if I want to comment on something going on in the world, or if I want to talk about this, I can't do it because that format doesn't call for it. And so from a, from like a fulfillment standpoint, I just felt like I wasn't able to express myself in the ways that I wanted to. And so for this podcast, it was, I mean, yeah, obviously I want to grow an audience, but it was mostly for me you know, to be able to talk about these things, you know? Dude, so this is actually a huge parallel for me and a big synchronicity because this is something that I am looking into. 
because as you mentioned, I have my website where I have a copywriting and marketing crowd. Mm. I want to talk about other shit. I want to do that kind of like what you're doing. And so this is, this is obviously very, it's very perfect in terms of how I'm, I'm actually getting something from this mm. beyond just the cool conversation as well, which yeah. I'm realizing more now. I wasn't thinking about it before, but as you're talking about this, this is something that I'm, I'm also planning. Like I'm writing um, a, a, a book and creating kind of a brand that is just more me. And it's just me on a plate, like personal development related, but it's, it's going to include whatever else I want to talk about. It's going to be the Mike shower brand. And yeah. that's, that's what I want. That's what I, I just want to make a living off of being me. Yeah. Is you know, it, you know, the name of it, is it going to be called the Mike shower brand? Like, big brand? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still playing around with it. I registered a domain name a long time, like five years ago that was called increase the easy and the, and the whole idea, and this has been a big theme for me and there's no coincidence why I registered that then. And I'm still interested in it is because in terms of like how I live my life, it's just simplified more and more. And I don't just mean in terms of what I'm into or what I focus on or where my head is at, but in terms of like how I see how everything works in, in a much more simplified way in terms of just how, how the universe works. And so I've, that has been a big theme of mine and um, increase the easy is this idea that dude, life is, life is hard, man. Like it could be tough. Life is fucking tough. Like we have a lot of challenges, right? But we can make it easier. And so it's that acknowledging that, yeah, we're always shedding skin. We're always becoming new people and that's not easy, but it can be easier. And, yeah. and it's that idea of whatever in, that encompasses, uh, that's kind of the direction that I'm going in. Yeah. So, so it's very open. Is that, what does the increase imply? What does the word increase do for that brand? What Continuously that easier. Mm. And it, where, where life just flows a lot more. I mean, that's where I'm at now is where things just flow. Because it's kind of like you're just continuously, and, and the way I see it, is to be more of who you are, it's a shedding process. It's a releasing process. You're not like adding to yourself. You're just releasing until you like get more to your core and you're just, you just live more simply because you're not worried about so many different things. Your mind isn't, your thoughts aren't being filtered through all these different beliefs that slow you down and that, that trip you up, you know, where you're just, you're becoming more vulnerable. Yeah. You're not holding back. You're just kind of like, this is what I want to do. And, and it's me putting that basically, how do you be? So I'll tell you the working title of the book is becoming an expert at being you. So the whole idea, you like the title? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. So the whole idea is kind of what I'm talking about where it's, it's, it's creating a process and, and it's very much a reflective work for me where I'm going through like what I went through, but creating some kind of framework or a process where you, it, where like, it comes back to you having the answers. And um, that kind of ties in as well with what I was talking about earlier about you not 
falling too much into what other people are saying and, and take, having that space to think about for yourself to go within and, and say, what's, what's, my prof- what's my preference here? Like what, what is gonna serve me most here? Like what, you know, what, what, what is gonna be in my best- um, Interest. Yeah, in my best interest, but, but just not even because it'll get me something else, but just because like, that's what I prefer. Yeah. Like that, that's what feels aligned with me. And to, for me, that's looking at things in an empowered way. And what's an empowered way? It's this idea that you have the answers and that it ultimately comes back to you. Mm. And so that's what this idea of becoming an expert at being you is where you just, it's not involving other people. Yeah. Like it involves other people because we live in physical reality, but it's always like a gut check. It's always comes back to right heart gut check. Yeah. So, I like yeah. a couple of things came up for me when you were talking about um, increase to easy and how to be an expert at being you. Um, one, I love the title because sometimes I realize like, especially recently being 30 years old, I've realized me procrastinating me getting addicted to marijuana. And I actually quit a few days ago. So I had my girlfriend lock all of it away in a place that I, I have no clue where it is. And she put it behind an actual lock because I've tried to like just cut back in the past. And, um, if it's sitting there, I'll just hit it. The, the first time I get the chance just out of habit. And I'm like, fuck, I broke the fucking streak. Um, so now it's gone. Uh, and so we'll see how long that goes. I think more just because I, I got scared out of smoking weed after I saw a brain scan of like someone who smokes weed daily versus a healthy brain. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, but that's, that's up for debate. And then on the other hand, um, you know, you talked about this idea of life being hard and, and you want to make it easier. And, the, and a lot of it comes down to just you being able to manage yourself, like Peter Drucker says. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and one thing being 30 now, which is crazy to even say, I don't feel 30. I don't even think I look 30. But I feel- What is 30 anymore, right? I'm 32. <laughs> I felt the same way, dude. I felt the really? same way. I don't, I don't even, honestly, 30, and, and I don't want to break up the conversation, but when I turned 30, I didn't care as, about age as, age as much because I feel like we become very attached to our 20s. Yeah. And once I turned 30, I felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Like, I'm done with the 20s. Like, I'm, I'm a man now. <laughs> like, I just, who gives a fuck about age anymore, right? And yeah. it, I feel like, our perception of age, it's just going to continuously change because we're able to be healthier people. Now we see things differently. Like we're new, we're becoming a new species in a sense where it's much different. It's not the same. It's not, you can't compare 30 to our parents, 30. Like it's just not. And I think that actually brings back to what I was originally going to say is like, I, being a kid in my twenties or my teens, I look at my parents and I look at my friend's parents and I go, these adults, they know things, they got it figured out. They have wisdom that I don't have. But now that I'm 30, I realize, oh, most adults don't know what the fuck they're doing. Most adults are just trying to figure it out as they go always. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I like the increase to easy uh, idea because I think that'll just really show Hey guys, let's stop making it harder on ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The path of least resistance, because that's a big thing that especially, you know, those of us that became entrepreneurs, we have heard the message so much of you have to work hard 
right? And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that from a certain angle because yeah, there's work involved. Like you have to take action, right? But I feel like it can be taken too far. And in general, on a consensus level, that's been taken too far and it creates like an imbalance. So the work hard becomes like, I'm going to fucking will this into existence. And that is not, that's not the easy way. That's the hard way. That's why they say work hard. So what is working easy? It's, it's like finding your flow and finding like just dropping everything that's blocking you and allowing yourself to not try to be somebody else. Cause that's, that's what makes it hard for us usually is when we try to be other people and other different, you know, personalities, but that's a part of our growing process. And that's why you, you can't say like, no, dude, it's like, it could be easy. Like I, I, you can't technically say it could be easy, but I think easier is, is definitely, you could say that it could absolutely be easier to the point where you say, this is, this is happening effortlessly for me because a lot of things happen like that for me now where things just seem to fall into place. And I would consider that easy, even though I have those times where I'm going through challenges and shit. Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever asked you about this, but like, how did you get into entrepreneurship? Cause you started your, your, your website, you built the whole thing from scratch. You coded it all, which impresses me because yeah. I'm terrible at coding. But like, how did you get into all that? Because obviously me, like I was in dental school, obviously unsatisfied where the rest of the 50 years of my life were going and I could already see it because I was in dental school to be a dentist. Um, so that was like kind of me just not wanting to settle for this life. What was it for you? Yeah, it's funny. I just thought, so I was listening to Jordan Belfort recently and he has a similar story. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He was in dental school and the guy and the guy says, yeah, so um, you're only going to make this much. And he just left the room. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I heard that um, going into dental school, uh, someone had told me that story about Jordan Belfort. And ironically, my first day of dental school, they did the same thing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I was like, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean, like when I was in high school, I was selling CDs, I was selling mixtapes, I was selling candy. I kind of had this little operation going Yeah. and I was just really excited about it. I, I, I mean, I, I made like a few thousand dollars in high school just oh, wow. through selling CDs. I would sell, I would, um, print the cover on Amazon. I would download the music, um, put it like print out a track list, tape it on the back of the the printed out cover from Amazon and then I'd put it in a clear plastic case and I'd bring it into to school and I and I'd sell them for five bucks so I was doing that for junior and senior high school I wasn't playing sports in school I wasn't I was I was literally focused on like selling CDs which there was it was more than just money because that allowed me to connect with people that allowed me to reach out and be friends with different people where it like really built, I guess you could say my network in high school where I had, I became friends with all different people in all different crowds yeah. that just came together for the love of mostly rap and hip hop music. You know? yeah. Who's your favorite um, rapper? My favorite rapper. Um, mm, 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think. Uh, what about I mean, what's that? Who was on those mixtapes back in the day? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, well, that this was in, so I was in high school, this was 2005, 2006, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking Kanye, 50 Cent, um, Jay-Z, Wayne. like, what's that? Lil Wayne? Yeah, Lil Wayne. So, yeah, th- those, those artists are, are definitely close to my heart, um, especially for that era because of my closeness to the music then and how it was like a big thing for me, a social thing as well. But, yeah, obviously being from the the northeast being from new york new jersey i mean yeah. i i i have a a connection with east coast rap so nas jay-z jada kiss like i love that hard hitting but yeah. but i don't always want that it's just it depends i mean i'm i'm very eclectic with with my my music yeah. musical taste and my dad he grew up like singing in a doo-wop group so I was around oldies all the time. I love old. I love listening to oldies sometimes, just like old school jams from the fifties and sixties. Um, but yeah, in terms of you know, like this area, yeah. I mean, Nas, Jay Z. You like think I said, Nelly would be considered oldies at this point? <laughs> Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> Nelly would be two thousand five, two thousand six for sure. That would definitely be in there. Yeah. Um, oh, Dip Dipset is another Cameron and Joel Santana. They're, they're yeah. another, new, another New Yorker. Uh, cool Chris Brown music back then. I remember yeah. my MySpace page. I was so happy with myself because I created my own MySpace page. And you could, you, could create, you could choose a custom background. You could change it. You could add code for, like, different things you wanted yeah. to page. And the first song that I had was uh, da, 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 da. It's the Chris Brown song. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the floor yeah yeah <laughs> yeah dude i sold that it was so funny story so i i had that cd like i loved that cd i thought it was so awesome like excuse me miss yeah yeah no that was a good that was a good fucking album i mean obviously it got him big right but um it was so funny because at the time i think i sold like one or two of those because nobody knew who chris brown was was so I'm going around telling people, and this is one of the reasons why I like this too, is I was on top of what was like, what was hot then. Yeah. Like you gotta listen, like Chris Brown, this, this is in terms of R&B and like, this is awesome. It's fucking awesome. Mm. And I had like two people buy it. <laughs> Whereas with 50 Cent, I think the biggest, the biggest sale I ever did was 50 Cent's The Massacre. Mm. It, I sold, it was over 50 that I sold. So these would be like basically you would download the entire album and then you'd burn it to a bunch of CDs, make a bunch of copies. Would you yeah. print like the, the design on the CD itself too? So I would just, I would print out from Amazon because Amazon would usually have the cover early. So I'd print it out and um, I, would, I would just stack, like say there's, there's 50 sheets of paper with the album cover printed out. I would take a scissor and cut them out all at once. Right, just line them all up, boom, and then I got a stack of album covers. Yeah, that were just pieces of paper. Damn, you were so you were the guy going around your high school, like, hey, you want to buy this mixtape? Hey, you want to buy this mixtape? Like all those rappers hustling. Kind of right. Yeah, at first it was kind of like that, right? But here's what happened: people, and I was in a big school too. Like we had, I think, three thousand kids together. It was huge, huge school. It was like. 800 kids just in my class. Like a college campus to some degree. Yeah, it, it was giant. 
Um, so there's a lot of people, right? But what would happen is teachers started yelling in class at me and people um, that were looking at my CDs because I would bring a binder and they would pass around the binder in class. Dang. And, and it, depending on what class I was in, like some classes, you know, they, there were a lot of kids that wanted to see like what I had. Uh, so I didn't even have to do that much. I guess you could say like barking in the hallways. It was more like me just building the brand. And then when I would be in class, yo, what do you got? What do you got? Pass it over here. Yeah. And they would just pass it around. And they would, they would, I would literally make money during class sometimes where they would take the CD, put the $5 bill in the binder, and then when it comes back to me, I felt like a fucking boss, man. I was, I, I was living. I was living. I mean, that was. I mean, at um, least you're doing CDs and not like Percocets and shit like that. I, yes. Yeah, like, uh, no, I had friends, of course, that sold marijuana and stuff. So, absolutely. Yeah. How, so, how did this get you into copywriting? How did you get into that? Yeah, well, the CD, so then fast forward, now <clears throat> I'm at college. So, in college, <laughs> the CD thing died down. I didn't really do that anymore. Um, but what I got into more and what I was always into was design. So I always enjoyed like designing things, designing shirts, designing, you know, I was just designing like flyers for the entrepreneurship club on campus and shit like that. And eventually I started doing logos and um, web design. Mm. So that was where I started at was design. But then eventually that transferred over to copy because when I would build websites for people, I was writing out the copy for them basically because they either would not give me the content on time for the website yeah. or it would just be absolutely horrible. And being that I came from, even though I was into design, I was taking marketing and I was into entrepreneurship and I was into selling a lot. Um, so before I even knew about copywriting, I was kind of writing copy because I was just writing from a sales perspective, but I just didn't know I was writing copy. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was writing, thinking, how can I be persuasive with this? What's going to make this um, sell? And um, then after that, a friend of mine who was a client, or a friend of mine now who was a client at the time, they said, you know that what I'm paying you for as a web designer is not to write out the shit on my website. It's like, it's really good, but you should be charging for this. It's called copyright. I'm like, oh. And that was when I was really undercharging myself. I, I was really undercharging. And um, just collect a couple hundred bucks to write a whole sales letter for him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was, I mean, we all go through those times where <clears throat> um, we are learning to value ourselves. Right. So I had that time period where I was just doing a lot because I was worried that it wouldn't be worth enough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what sent me down on that path. So then in terms of uh, swipe.co coming into the picture, that came as a result of me just always having ideas. Like I'm a, always been a big idea person. Mm. And because I know how to code, I learned how to code and design websites. I would work on these different ideas. And um, some of them were close to hitting. Like I, I had some really good concepts that I built out and that I was selling to like get investment. But this was an idea. What's that? What were some of those? Um, yeah, so one of them was called Seat Swap. 
Okay. And the idea is it was an app and I didn't know, I don't know how to code phone, iPhone apps. Right. Got it. Um, it was an app that allows you to go into a stadium and you'll see all the seats that were not bought where you can upgrade to that seat at a discount. Mm. I thought this was a genius idea, a brilliant idea. And I had a teacher in my school uh, and this was like a few years after I graduated, but a teacher who was a venture capitalist. And he said, this is the best idea I've ever heard from a student. Wow. Yeah. So I was super pumped about this. And this you know, I, what's that? This is a college professor. Yeah. Who's, who is also working for a big investment company Got it. in New York. So he said, he's like, I'll set you up with a meeting with the New York Mets and you wow. can talk about it with them and everything. I was so pumped, dude. And at the time, I was really thinking about money too. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be here. I'm going to sell this for a billion dollars and all this shit. And yeah. My priorities were just, they were all in the wrong place. <laughs> like, it, it, I, I was, it was, it was perfect at the time for what it was. Um, no, but eventually what happened was, uh, is I found out that there was a team in San Francisco, a team of like 20 people that were working on this idea. Mm. and I had built out a website. I built out an HTML demo so somebody can go on their phone and they can play around with it. Um, but this, this team in San Francisco, they had like hundreds of thousands of dollars in funding. It was called Polo Seat. I think it's still around. Um, but, but they were working on this idea, and they had gone really far with it. And so eventually I actually reached out to them, and um, they wanted to hire me, but I didn't want, it. I didn't want that. Uh, so I, I just continued that and I moved on from that. But then Swiped came shortly after that. Got uh, it. And there, and there were other ideas in between that. But yeah, it's, I, I, I love um, building things and like being in that startup stage. I'm looking for a pen because I have yeah. your pen around and my girl was uh, in, the, in my office. That's the big idea pen? Next to me, the big idea pen. And she's I like, I love those. that pen. Yeah. <laughs> and That's you created so cool. that. Yes. Oh, and yes, literally, like, even though the big idea, big idea is a copy term. I mean, that was more, more than that for me, because I'm always thinking of ideas and like big ideas. Um, and not just thinking about the ideas and saying, and not doing research. But I think what makes me, I guess you could say in that sense, like a powerhouse at starting things. Mm. Because that's really my in, in terms of like, if you were to put me in a position at a company or like if you're starting something, I'm, I'm the guy that you want to be starting it with. But then after that, somebody else needs to like, yeah. they need to take the reins in some way. Um, but I'm just, I, it's because my research skills combined with my thinking and my ability to like create the, the design and the website and the stuff, it's kind of like I'm able to formulate everything very quickly because of all these skills that I have. So it's not like I'm somebody that, well, I'll have an idea and I'll see roadblocks. I don't see any roadblocks. I'm like, research, design it, boom, ship, like shop it off to somebody else and figure this out yeah. versus somebody else. I need to find a designer. I need to figure out this. I need to figure out that. Yeah. Have you found that you've gotten, because of that, you've gotten good at delegating things? Because I, I feel the same way. I'm very good at coming up with ideas and then getting the idea going. And I've also always prided myself on being able to see it through all the way. 
However, I've just realized, especially recently, this podcast is a perfect example. Start the podcast. I do all the research to get the studio, the lighting correct, um, the microphones, everything. And now I'm starting it and I started editing. I edited, edited probably the first six to seven episodes myself. But in that process, I realized, oh, me doing everything has just made it so that way I forgot oh, I also have an email list I need to keep up with. I also have another dating advice channel that I need to keep up with. And I realized that like when I was booking, I, I literally have five guests that I'm interviewing this week so we can get ahead of it. But I realized in the process of me getting the five guests last week, I was like, oh shit, I haven't posted a video on my other channel for like a week and a half. So would you say, because I definitely struggle with delegating at times, would, what was your, what's your experience with that? My experience is your experience. (laughs) Seriously. um, That's something that I've had to work with that I'm, I'm still in the process of working on. I have not learned to delegate much and I've become very, very good at optimizing my own workflow and getting as much done as I can and, Mm -hmm. and being myself. Um, But yeah, I, I am not that type of person where it is a little bit more difficult for me to be the manager and to like delegate things out. So I feel like I need someone like that in a sense, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm looking for a virtual assistant now that would help with that. So I think that's a good start. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I feel like you can let me know if you feel the same way with Mm. delegating. I one, it's like, I'm so in the middle of doing it that me thinking of, taking the time to look for someone else to do it seems like a waste of time. It seems like I'm taking steps backwards, even though theoretically I'd be taking one step back to move 10 steps forward. But then secondly, it's like when I have found other people to do things, I never feel like they do it the way I would do it or up to the standard that I would do it, which I know it's a process. But at first, when I would try to start doing this, I would get frustrated. I'm like, does nobody see it the way I see it? Like, why, why are they not able to do it the way I do it? Yeah. I hear you, man. It's definitely like a people's problem in that it's about the person, you know, that you get. And then also if you get somebody, cause you get a virtual assistant or, or I've, I've worked with contractors and people that I've hired like in the Philippines and stuff, mm. but you have to be very specific with them. Mm. Like you have to make sure that there is no way for them to screw it up. And I think that comes from systemization kind of like, you know, you look at McDonald's as an example, they have teenagers operating the, the place and it's not falling apart. Now, is it that difficult? Not necessarily, but still the person needs training and they need to get used to that environment. So I, I think systems and that, that um, repetitiveness is, is kind of the answer long-term. Mm. Mm. I, I totally agree, man. Like even with this podcast, uh, I got my buddy to edit it. Um, and he's been able to dominate it. He's done a couple of episodes by this point, but it's only because after all my negative experiences, I probably spent last year going through a lot of stress, just trying to figure out how to be okay with delegating things. Um, so for this one, I, I edited the first seven podcasts or whatever. And so uh, because of that, I had the thumbnail and the editing process and the workflow down to a system to where for the first time I was just like, Hey man, here's how I do it. And I recorded a screen flow and, um, start to finish. I was able to do it real quick. Cause like you, um, I tried to just figure out the most optimized way of doing it. 
and and he's been able yeah. to dominate it. So um, yeah, it's just really interesting for me to hear that you and I have struggled with some of the same things, but I also feel like it's because we probably had a similar kind of just mentality towards entrepreneurship and everything where it's like idea, let's fucking go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, as we're talking, there's a lot of parallels between our paths as you know, with, especially with our businesses and stuff for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, uh, I, I've also felt the same way with guys like Clark Kegley and Brian Moncada specifically, like when I talk to them, very similar in story or just mentality and it's it's kind of ironic how all four of us kind of gravitate towards the same group and we're all similar in that nature yeah yeah dude and i find that that and and kind of going back to a concept i talked about earlier right this intertwining this finding connectivity in everything that is kind of going on this journey of right? Shedding these different beliefs, becoming more of yourself. That is the magic that I've been discovering. However you want to explain it in terms of science or physics or whatever you're into. Yeah. I can't deny that the, what I experience is this type of connectivity on a much higher level than I ever used to where, um, and I use the term synchronicities a lot to describe things because I don't know if if you're that into that or the the use of that word, but my life can be like a big synchronicity sometimes where, and that's how, that is when it's the most fun is where you see the connections everywhere, which is kind of like seeing things from a multidimensional perspective, you know, where everything is like a fractal. It's all like reflections. Reflections are everywhere. Like you repeating stuff back to me where I'm like, Oh yeah, I think the same way. And, then, and you could say, it's so easy to just say as humans, oh yeah, that's interesting that you also think that way. But there's a, comes a certain point and this, has to, this involves you letting go of the reins um, where you go deeper and deeper and eventually you can't deny it anymore where the c- certain things happen and you just can't, you can't say anymore, oh, what, an, what a coincidence. It's like, come on, man, look around you. Like, notice everything around you, right? Like, there's, there's connections, messages everywhere, everywhere. Mm. It is funny. Like, so I, I don't specifically word, use the word synchronicity. Um, mm. But when you said that, immediately, I, I knew what you meant. Yeah. My first time even hearing the word synchronicity was probably a year ago. I was watching an Amazon Prime movie called Synchronicity. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It, it's an actual, like, a Hollywood movie or a documentary? A Hollywood movie. And oh. it, it's kind of mind-blowing in the sense that, I'll give you a quick synopsis. It's yeah. about the guy, this guy, um, big actor. I forget his name off the top of my head, but he, you'd recognize him immediately. Um, this guy ends up having a baby with this girl, but this guy, or wait, the, guy, the girl ends up meeting a guy, having a baby with him, and it's a big synchronicity because time travel's involved. And long story short, because I can't, it's so mind blowing and it so so doesn't make sense when I yeah. try to explain it. But the the moral of the movie is the girl started out as a girl, got in an accident, and became a guy. Went back in time, had sex with this girl that ended up being him, which gave birth to him 
as a girl and then the girl grew Whoa. up dude it was it was fucked well, well that's like the way that you're describing it right is it's like a web and that's how i see synchronicity is when and this is actually part of the book that i'm working on it's like this whole idea of of having and taking um evidence like looking for evidence because what happens is you and imagine you know at being at like an FBI office or something where they have all the needles in the wall with the strings and everything. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but with your life. And the more evidence that you, you gather and you see it in front of you and you're like, I can't deny this shit. Like, this is just, it's too much. This is so in my face. And the more that you trust it, the, I, I'm seeing that the more I let go and I, and I'm able to just, see things as kind of magical is they really do happen in crazy ways. And I mean, I, I, I have so many different examples yeah. just, just from the past month, like just, you know, it's and, and certain numbers, the way that numbers show up. I don't know if you've ever looked into like different, like in numerology and stuff. And I'm not that big into like the meaning of certain numbers and stuff. I know a little bit, but, um, a few years ago, like something that came up for me is this, the number 44 just started appearing in a lot of different scenarios in my life. And what basically what happened is, is it became kind of a marker for me. So whenever I see 44, it's almost like a wink, almost like a wink from the universe. Like, and that's all I see it as you're going in the right direction. Like, and it do, it shows up in the weirdest, the strangest times. Like it's, it's crazy how it, it all, it comes, like I, I live in apartment 244. Um, all these different like things that come together in ways that you just, you, you wouldn't imagine. Where you, yeah. I, I was talking to a friend about this, right? And I dropped him off. I was about to go home and I told him like 44 is a big number for me, 11. So I, I, I turn on um, my navigation to go home. I was going to be home at 2.44 and it was, um, it was 4.44 miles away and it was like four minutes and 11 seconds away. It, it's like where you just see these patterns, these patterns that show up and you see them enough times where they actually mean something to you. It's not... You, you don't think you're going crazy anymore because they show up so much that you can't even, you, you, it's helpful. That's the, see, that's the difference. Most people, they think too much into like, well, how does this happen? How does this work? Yeah. How about this? How, is it helpful to you? Because when I need confirmation on something, if I see that number, that's helpful to me. Yeah. Because now I'm able to like, confirm in my head even if it doesn't mean that it's it's helpful yeah. so it almost is like a thing that immediately changes your state and gives you like conviction and confidence moving forward on your current path even if it's not necessarily number 44 but more even just a state change but um you're ironically the second person i've talked to in the last couple of weeks who said something about numbers. I've never looked into the significance of numbers in my life. Uh, and I even told Clark this uh, about a week ago or so. Um, I, I have always kind of struggled with like energy, law of attraction, numerology, things like that. And Clark was ironically the first person 
who I, I one of his YouTube videos, he was talking about um, numbers and how they have significance. And um, I don't know if I've necessarily had uh, that same experience with numbers specifically, but I've had similar experiences with just when I look back over the last few years of my life and I think about all the shit that I thought was like, it was the end of the world. This is going to ruin my career, whatever it was that yeah. always ends up being the turning point that led me to the wins that I had today, you know? Right. So it is kind of crazy. The synchronicity looking back and, and the first time, ironically, I think if I, if I had to put money on the moment where Patrick James got addicted to marijuana, um, it was after I dropped out of dental school uh, a couple years. I, in my whole life, I had always told myself, um, you know, I don't want to smoke weed. Weed is not for me or whatever. And then I'm probably like 27 at this point. I'm broke. I'm about a year and a half out of dental school. I'm trying to make the dating advice thing work. And my, my roommate at the time, he had a vape pen and he would hit this thing every night after he'd get off work. And one night he let me hit it. And I, would, and I got high and I started talking to a girl who I was in dental school with, uh, went to dental school with, good friend, not trying to hook up with her or anything, but we were just talking and catching up. And the whole time, that whole year after dental school, I would say it was like, it was like fitting six years of personal development into like three months because I'd never before felt like massive rejection in the way that I had felt at that point. Like my parents didn't support my decision. Everybody in Kansas is talking shit. Oh, PJ, he, the guy who didn't get girls when he lived in Kansas is now wanting to be a dating coach. And that's kind of my hero story with the dating thing, but they, they don't, they just know the version of me back then. Right. And then I'm in dental school. Nobody knows this is like a passion of mine secretly that I'm trying to go out and improve my own dating life. And when I drop out to do it, now people start talking and I, I don't even know what people said because I turned a blind eye to it, but I had never felt that much rejection and just like almost alone. Nobody's here to support me on this path. So I had to almost restart and I, and I look back on almost not being able to pay my rent on my birthday, having a mini panic attack for the first time ever, because I'm not only struggling to pay rent, but also my car got towed on my birthday. And I'm like, man, this all sucked. But then I'm talking to this girl and I'm high. And it's like the first time I'm high, like in years. And I'm mm -hmm. talking about these experiences and realizing I'm actually grateful for those experiences because I had a midlife crisis in my twenties thank God, or else I would have had to wait until I was 50 to start doing what I actually want to do, you know? And, um, so talking about synchronicities, I think it is pretty crucial, you know? Yeah, man. And I, I have a feeling that now that, you know, you're hearing this from me, from Clark, you're going to start to open up to these things. And, um, cause I've been on the path. I've been on the full path where I started off being skeptical of anything that seemed somewhat magical and mystical uh, and, and being skeptical of that. And it's only through life experience where I have this personal evidence, you know, that I've collected my own, that no one can say to me um, that this is correct or this is right or this is wrong. I don't care because I know what works for me. And that's that coming back to that whole idea of becoming an expert at being you. Like you may not resonate with numerology. Maybe you don't really, you don't, you're, you're not that attracted to working with numbers or thinking about that. It, do, that's, it doesn't matter. But if you're open to it, 
that's what matters because otherwise you're closing off avenues of, of different ways that things could like magically unfold in your life and happen in these, in these different ways. So I'm just so passionate about being open-minded and not putting restrictions on things. And at the end of the day, it coming back to your experience yeah. versus proof. You need, everybody needs proof that something works or that something is true or that something who's bold enough to just say, this works for me and I'm sticking to it. You know, that's, it take, it takes balls. It takes like being bold, but people love that. And why do they love it? It's because it's empowering. Yeah. It's empowering for, for somebody to, to, to just say, this is in my experience. And I think the world, it, it, there could be world peace if people just started sentences with, in my experience, because then it's not about fact or, tr or what the truth is. It's just, listen, I, what makes us all unique is our experience. Our unique, ex nobody, nobody in the world has the same experience we do. It's not even close. It, we make connections and we, we act like they're similar, but really when it comes down to moment to moment, full life, it's totally uniquely, totally unique. And so that unique perspective, I forgot where I was going with this, but, but basically, um, yeah, like in my experience, because this is, this is what's unique to us. And that's what, that has to be like honored more highly than in authority saying that this is true, that somebody, you know, is coming in and telling you what's your truth mm. versus you deciding that, you know, how long ago did you, uh, kind of realized the number 44 when was that it's like three years ago it was when i started so i so we can get into so some weirder stuff so i started connecting um i started connecting with my with like my grandfather all of a sudden and um this is someone who i never met uh he died before i was born but i just felt this like really strong connection to him and I just started getting these senses like he was around. And when I would sense he was around, um, I started, I, for whatever reason, I kept seeing not just 44, but 444, where it would, it would often happen around those times. So that was the beginning of it. And I didn't force this. I just like, found a connection, bro. You're 32. I'm 30. 3 plus 0 plus 3 plus 2 is 8. 8 divided by 2 is 4. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> hey there's a, it, that's cool <laughs> you know and, number, and, and uh, eight what's that it's like the movie 23 with jim carrey i have i haven't actually no you need to watch that movie yeah. have you seen yeah. it no bro i haven't it's I, it, it, you'll you'll relate to it because it's jim carrey and his character having the same experience with the number 23 and it actually drives him crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy man that's awesome i'll definitely check that out so what actually so i'm i'm talking about the four 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 or 44 specifically right but what actually got me into numerology speaking of you know my my age 32 mm. so in numerology there's something called a life path and if you add up your birth date your full birth date all the numbers you reduce it down as much as you can and that's your life path so for whatever reason, I was attracted to look into this. And this was like five, six, seven years ago when I was like in my mid twenties. And I found out 
that my life path, right, it, it it's, ends up being 32, so three plus two is five. 32, right? And what I read at the time was that for many people, and it's not for everybody, right? But I read it and I felt something. It said, oftentimes this age is a very significant age for someone in their life. Their life path, like age before it's reduced down. And mine was 32. And dude, this year has been huge for me in many ways where it's just, just like from a self perspective, like growth perspective, I just feel like a completely, like so many different shifts. And I totally feel a renaissance in a sense where I'm like a new person. Um, and I knew this back then because, and why do I say I knew it? Because I read it and, and I just felt like I knew it because it's one thing to believe in something, but belief requires knowing like knowing knowing isn't it's different than believing when you know something when like you truly know something and that has to do with getting more in touch with your 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 intuition and stuff like that yeah but i've learned to decipher it more where i can feel when i know like something is going to happen and yeah. it's not always that i have that it comes here and there but i just had this weird feeling like 32 is going to be a really big year for me. Um, and um, it actually, it pissed me off then because I felt, and, and this is a fucking page in a book that I read. So right? this, you, how What's long that? ago were you reading this book? What's that? How long ago were you reading this book? Um, I forget the exact year or how long ago it was, but yeah, it was like. It, a while ago? It was my mid twenties. Yeah. Got it. And yeah. And, was it saying 32 for everybody or 32 specifically for no. you? No, for your life path. So I don't know what yours would reduce down to, but everyone is different. So mine is, my life path is technically five, but before to get to five, it's three plus two reduced down to, right? So it adds up to 32. So I read that and for whatever reason that that hit with me, like, yeah, 32. I don't know why, but this seems like a, kind of like a pinnacle year for me and um at the time I was pissed because like 32 that's like six years away and shit, yeah. shit like that but it was more about it, it was much bigger than that because it was more about me I mean exploring a variety of things you know and and also becoming empowered enough to not get caught up in if somebody tells you like a prediction about yourself and you then saying Oh, that's going to happen. Fuck. Like, and that's, what is that? It's disempowered. Being empowered is like when it's going based on how you feel. And even though in that moment I felt a little bit disempowered, me transforming that was empowering because now it wasn't about, I have to wait until a certain age. It's like, all right, this feels like, this is going to be like a big transition period for me. So it's going to be like a hell of a ride getting there. And after it too, I never placed that much significance on it, but that's how I got into numerology. It's, it's I, I found that out. And also my life path actually reading about that helped me a lot. Mm. So mm. it specifically said that this would be a, a good for year for you or just like a significant year for you. It, 
in numerology with life paths, it's just a general rule that it could be common for someone to have a significant year on their life path year. Mm. So this is like the defining year of your life, according to that book, or just one of them? I don't see it that way at all. Yeah, I, I just, it was just what it was where I just, I just knew that it was going to be like a significant year. Mm. Um, and that's all I took it as. Yeah. Because, and, and this goes back to this empowering perspective, right? No prediction, no, nothing that you hear from somebody else can change your life unless you decide that it can change your life. You know, yeah. you have, you're in charge in that way. Nobody can tell you that like people that say he made me feel bad. He made me feel this way. You made yourself at the end of the day, you made yourself feel that way. And that's just cause you're literally buying into what they're saying. Like you're buying what they're giving you. And so it's you deciding what you want to buy into. And that stood out to me as something that like, it felt good, but the difference was it was my beliefs that were getting in the way that made it bad. Mm. Because if someone tells you like, Hey, things are going to be awesome at this year. Like this is going to be a big year for you. You could say, Oh shit, I got to wait. I, these years are going to suck. So what, after that, it's not going to be good. Or you could just say, okay, I'm going to recognize that and use it in the most empowering and the most like useful way that I can, because mm -hmm. it's, it's just what you make of it at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, there's this thing that I heard, I guess that you can consider this somewhat numerology, but, um, Dean Graziosi, when I was working with him, um, it was like literally me, Dean, Brian and Ryan and Jeremy in a car. And we were driving to Sedona one day, just like, it was like my second day working there. And, um, they, they kind of said something and they were in, informing me because apparently they'd all talked about it before, which is like the rule of three. And it's like, if you hear about one concept three times from three different sources, that's when you got to take action on it or whatever. And so in like the last week, this is the second time I've heard about numerology. And I guess Dean would be the first one or whatever a couple of years ago. So that's the rule of three. Yeah. Right there. Maybe I should take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, saying that but not even realizing and not having to know or label it as numerology you know because at the end of the day does it work for you and and being open-minded enough to utilize everything that comes in for you as different tools like the fact that that came into your life and now mine to me that instantly just because it showed up in your life it has significance because otherwise, why would it show up? See, that's where I'm, that's where my head is at now. Like how I live is literally yeah. where when something comes in, maybe, maybe it's not that significant, Yeah. but if I get like an intuitive hit where I feel like there's something here and then I just sit with that and I allow it, I allow it to happen. Not for, not saying this must mean something very significant. And then, cause that's forcing it. That's like, that, then you're trying to make it significant. But if you just, all right, this came in interesting, like being the investigator, right? And that's how I see, because I was talking about being the researcher. That's how I like to live is where, oh, interesting, a clue. Let me look into this, being, being, the, invest, being the investigative reporter, being, uh, you know, Mulder from X-Files. And like, yeah. interesting, let's look into that. Um, which, I, this is kind of a side tangent, 
but it's also somewhat related um, because talking about time and like how it, it came into your life at that time or whatever, I've been playing with this, this idea ever since college. So in college, I, I was going to college in Kansas at K-State and there was one time, it was the first time this university had ever done a snow day um, and canceled class. Apparently they were just, they had a history of never canceling class no matter how bad the weather got. Well, this yeah. time it was so bad that the, like the entire ground, all the concrete was covered in ice to the degree that I tried to go out my door to walk to the mailbox, which was like 50 feet away. And I slipped on my ass like three times and, uh, and it busted my ass. But anyways, I ordered a few books on online because I was going to be stuck inside. And one of them was called heaven is for real. Have you ever heard of that book? Yeah. They made a movie out of it too, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And so I, I read it and this kid who apparently had a near-death experience where he died, went to heaven, spoke to God, spoke to Jesus, met his, his uh, stillbirth like sibling or whatever um, in heaven, and then came back and like recollected the story. One of the things he talked about was, and at the time, I'm like a 20-something, like 21-year-old kid, um, so I'd never thought about this, but he said time is an illusion. And he said when he was in heaven, he was able to see the entire timeline and just see everything from what happened and what's going to happen as if it was all just one at the same time. Yeah. And then recently I realized, actually, I think I talked about it either on Clark's podcast a couple podcasts ago or the last one, when I realized, yo, time itself is a man-made creation. So bear with me on this one. I was watching this documentary called The Universe on Netflix, and it was about galaxies, right? And it was talking about like our galaxy compared to this galaxy, how far away they were. And I realized that our concept of time is based off of how long it takes our planet in our specific point in space to go around our sun. So one year is one revolution around our star. But let's say there's an intelligent species in a different galaxy on a different planet around a different star, different sizes, different gravitational pulls, different distances their measurement of time is going to be completely different than our measure, measurement of time. And if you really think about it, our measurement of time is just us trying to make sense of what we observe in the sky so we can keep track of our day. Our day is just like, oh, the sun is up and now the sun's down, right? right. So maybe there might be an intelligent species out there that doesn't even know about the concept of time, but they're way more advanced than us because they've never thought about measuring units of time in that same way. So if we think about time, and think about like the synchronicities of life. What if it all really is connected and where you are going in the future has already happened, but we're just experiencing it from our human experience because we measure time in a specific way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know what really um, fucked with my head in like an awesome way? And I love this movie, Interstellar. Mm. when they go to this other planet and he comes back and he's like the same age and his daughter is twice his age. Yeah. I mean, that the depiction of that, it really showed you how weird time is. <laughs> you know, It really like demonstrated in that movie and I love that. But absolutely, man, it's so, time is so malleable and it is very important, I think, the understanding that you were talking about um, it directly plays in to this idea of synchronicity because you see that everything is connected and how can it be so connected? Because if it's all happening at once, well, of course it can be very connected where it could seem there are things that happen with me where it, it would seem like I traveled back in time to plan something for something that's about to come up where it seems so relevant and so like synchronous 
that it just blows my, it'll just blow my mind, you know, where it's like just time, time is, is very malleable. It is very. To, to your point in space, it is relative, which can be a scary or a freeing thought. Cause then it's, then you think, then you get into the terms of like destiny, like, am I destined to fail? Am I destined to succeed? Is it already pre-planned? Can I change where I go? And I think maybe that's where, uh, I mean, so here's one thing we can't dispute. Our measurement of time is a man-made creation. All right. So that's one thing that's a fact. If you really think about points in space, but what we don't really know, because I don't think our, our view of physics and the way things work on a quantum level is fully understood. Is it predetermined or does our intention going into that moment change the trajectory of that you know i don't know i think so i think because so going back to um like this idea of of hearing a prediction or reading something or let's say you go to a psychic so most people when they go to a psychic they think and this is the people that really buy into it completely um in a disempowering way is when they hear something that they don't want to hear and then they think that because they said it and that they believed it in that moment, that it's going to happen. And really, in my point of view, the second that a prediction is given, it could change in that moment. Because now you're aware mm. of what they just said and you can change it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that even That's though- That's a physics think, thing. That's a physics concept about Schrodinger's cat. Have you heard about that? Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah, that fucking experiment is amazing. It's so it's like one of the coolest experiments. Define it for the people listening who don't know what it is. Well, maybe you can define it better than me. I, I remember it vaguely in terms of so the cat, maybe you can describe it better because I, I think um, the, the it, was, it was basically talking about superpositions of atoms in space. Yeah, and so there's this yeah. thing called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that I learned about in chemistry class, which is basically if we're trying to pinpoint exactly where an, uh, an electron is around the nucleus, because um, electrons, they're microscopic, they're like they're not even microscopic, they're quantum. So they're so small and they spin around the nuclei and however many protons and electrons and the balance of the positive and negative determines what element that is, right? And so the thing is, that's crazy about that is you can know how fast that electron is moving and you can also know the exact point that electron is at, but the more you know about this, the less you know about that. So you can never know both at the same time. And so that's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. So that kind of plays into Schrodinger's cat, which is, hey, if this is a container and inside of here is a cat, the cat can either be alive or dead. Yes. But until yes. you look at it, 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 is, it is undecided. The I'm moment sorry. you look at it, that's when it is, becomes either alive or dead. But before you look at it, it's a combination of both, which is kind of crazy. Right. Related back to what you said, you were talking about like the moment you put it out in the universe and observe it and talk about it is the moment it becomes a thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I know you described better than me because I'm not good with scientific explanations, but I just knew, yeah, you don't know until you look, right? Like with the cat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, and, and this, and, and I, I think the number one word that I'm probably using over and over again is this idea of empowerment because us, we are ultimately in the driver's seat. No matter what tools you use, no matter what, it, it, I mean, there's different belief systems that you can buy into, 
um, that determine how control, how in control you think you are. And that determines how you use these different tools and information, because it's not like certain things like astrology or numerology or different things, you know, relating to different mystical crafts and stuff like that. It's not the things themselves that have the effect. It's how you work with them, you know, and, and thinking that like a lot of people, for instance, we visited uh, Salem, Massachusetts in October where witch, witchcraft is really big. And then we visited, we were in New Orleans over New Year's where voodoo is very big. So voodoo is more about protection. It's more like people are protecting themselves from evil, whereas witchcraft is more about doing good and working with nature. So I'm no, I don't resonate with voodoo at all. Witchcraft type stuff is cool. Um, but which one are you buying? Which, they're both like magical type of tools that you can work with but it's how you view them and how you use them that determines what you get out of them so whenever you feel like you are trying to protect yourself you should question that (laughs) (laughs) like you have to protect yourself from something Yeah. yeah well talking about um kind of what you resonate with and this is also another side tangent going down the alien rabbit hole, bro. <laughs> um, Cause this is one thing I learned about you recently. Cause we've known each other for a couple of years, but I didn't know until a couple of weeks ago that you were deep down the rabbit hole, just like me, but yeah, more so than you lead on. I feel like you're a lot deeper than I would have ever guessed. And you're sending me eBooks and shit. And I'm, I'm a like, researcher, Yo. bro. You know, I'm a researcher. A researcher. I'm an investigator. How did you get into it? What got you into the rabbit hole? What was that moment? And then what, like, kind of what, is, what are some of the conclusions that you've come to about it? Oh, man, I'm trying to think, you know, like, well, I'll say that in, in 2012 is when I got into law of attraction and just like spiritual type stuff. That's when I started reading, because uh, I'd read The Secret before, but I started reading more spiritual type books and getting into opening my mind up. Because my mind was always open, but I just wasn't absorbing this type of material. Like I just, I was, I started with self-help type stuff, Tony Robbins. And I was like, the first program I listened to was personal power. And then because my mind is wide open and I'm a curious person, like, what do you think is going to (laughs) happen? I'm going to eventually, I'm going to go, I'm going to keep going deeper. Like it's just. You even had an experience recently where it all came came to fruition recently, right? I didn't mean oh, the, where I saw like a, I had a sighting the little floating white balls above New yeah. York. City. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems to happen. Like not, that was pretty dramatic the way that it happened that day. I know it didn't catch it as well on camera, but you could still see it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it still looked kind of crazy from the video you sent me. Um, if I can, yeah. find it, I might, I might have the editor throw it on top of this video. So show uh-huh. what I'm talking about, but anyway, uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, man. Like, where, where were you at? No, I mean, there's so many different directions we've yeah. been going, right? But yeah, yeah I, I guess I just wanted to, to mention, um, even for people that you know, aren't into this, which I don't know anyone listening to this at this point that probably wouldn't be after watching all your podcasts. If they, if they stuck through the numerology part, they'll definitely stick through the UFO yeah, part. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But this is good. You're, you're, you're going to weed out your people. And I, I think if you're anything like me, you want you want some weirdness in your crowd because yeah. that makes things fun. You know, yeah. makes things fun. Um, but yeah, this, this just kind of naturally happened as a result 
of me being very curious and opening up my mind and going in these different avenues. Um, and just having certain experiences, like when I was younger, um, I was very afraid of aliens, uh, where I, my biggest fear when I was like in elementary school was of being abducted. And it yeah. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't even necessarily just of like being abducted by aliens, but I was just scared of being abducted where before I would go to bed, I'd have my mom promise me that like no one is going to come through the window and take me. It was crazy. Dang. Like that, yeah, that was my, that was my life. Like that was where my head was at in terms of my fears. And I remember watching this one documentary. It was like a fake documentary. Was and it they were kind? No, no, this, no, no. This is like when I was very young. Okay. Like seven, eight years old, something like that. And it was like a, a fake, a fictional movie, but it was done and, th and this was before its time, actually, now that I think about it. This was done kind of like Paranormal Activity Blair Witch style, it. where it was actual video footage. And it was of these alien beings um, abducting, like infiltrating these people's houses and abducting them. And it was terrifying to me. And I don't know, like, if that activated something in me where maybe I had some type of experience. Because from, from my from what I've read and me looking into this and people that have been abducted and stuff like that, um, you often actually choose to forget. Just like how you suppress certain things that you don't want to remember. Yeah. If it's a fearful experience, um, it'll be like a co-creation in that sense where, because these beings have technologies that can allow that type of thing to happen where there's maybe you don't remember it, but then all of a sudden, you know, something like that happens where I'm watching a video and that triggers the fear and it comes up. So I feel like that's, that might've been what happened. Um, because I have had type, all types of dreams where like a spaceship coming down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I had one recently and, uh, this was crazy. And I, and I, I looked this up afterwards so I had this dream that I saw a UFO coming down like a disc-shaped object. And it was super real, very vivid. And um, it was like I was in Arizona, actually. But, you know, dreams, it's, they don't have to be exact. Yeah. Um, so I see it and I got excited because this yeah. is like stuff I'm excited about now is if I see, some, you know, I see a UFO. Yeah. And it comes down. And I don't remember anything after that other than that. I was frozen in midair at one point where it was like I couldn't move. Mm. And um, I could actually turn my head a little bit, but my body was, I was, um, I was just kind of hanging in the air. And I looked, I looked that up afterwards, like that type of experience, because it felt very real. Yeah. Um, like it was, I don't know, some kind of memory or something. And um, there are people that I've talked about how that is like, something they experienced where when you come back from an experience like that you're kind of because they're shifting dimensions yeah. and they're shifting like energies that you have to be kind of um like sleep paralysis is is a common theme actually from people that have have said that they've experienced abductions yeah because they're like their energy their body is coming back um from 
somewhere else where there were different shifts and energy, you know, energy work going on. So yeah, that's what I've read about. That's from my understanding. So a couple things from your story really appealed to me. One was the irrational deep fear of being abducted as a kid. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think that came from somewhere or do you just, have you always had that fear as long as you can remember? I don't know where it came from. I really don't. <laughs> so that's what really stands out to me. Cause my girlfriend is the exact same way. I mean, I didn't even really go down the oh, alien rabbit really? hole until like maybe a year ago, but my girlfriend has an irrational fear, a phobia of aliens and being abducted and UFOs. And I have no clue why. And I always joke, hey, maybe she was abducted once and she's trying to suppress the memory. I don't know, but it, it's really funny. And okay. what's ironic about that is her parents are also really into UFOs because we're in Phoenix and her parents were here yeah. during the Phoenix lights. And um, they see stuff where the, by their house all the time to the point where her aunt has actually, or well, her aunt is basically her mom, her aunt and mm-hmm. uncle raised her, will go in her car and just like try to fi- like chase these lights in her car. Um, so yeah, she has an irrational fear of those. But then the second thing that stood out to me was the sleep paralysis thing, because do you experience sleep paralysis at all? Ever? Not as much anymore, but yeah, I have in the past and... And in that dream, even though I didn't wake up in sleep paralysis, I experienced, I had that experience of it, which mm-hmm. was super vivid. Got it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I told you this over text a couple of weeks ago. I've never really looked into the abduction stuff because I feel like it's harder for me to believe someone recounting an experience that may or may not have happened versus me saying, this is a sighting. Nobody c- can explain that, but we all saw it. Um, so that's kind of the stuff that I tend to look into, but then I know I've had a lot of experience just like with sleep paralysis myself, being afraid, waking up, not being able to move, um, not being able to scream for help because you're even your vocal cord is paralyzed. Right. Um, so it's a scary experience, but now when I experience it, I know I've, I've had it happen enough to where I know that I'm two seconds away from experiencing it. I'm like, Oh fuck oh shit, now I'm stuck again because it's happened that, that common. Mm-hmm. And I think for people who have actually experienced sleep paralysis, because that's, I think, the argument against abduction cases is like maybe they're dreaming being abducted when they're really in sleep paralysis. And I know from my experience of sleep paralysis, yeah, you hear random shit, voices, you see shadows, but I know for a fact I wasn't being abducted, right? And so I, you being someone who's looked into it, has the fear of being abducted, had a vivid experience to where you felt like it was real, but you've also experienced sleep paralysis in your head. Is there a clear difference between, between those two experiences? Between sleep so, paralysis and that, that memory of you or dream of you being abducted that felt real. Yeah. I mean, obviously not all sleep paralysis is abduction related, right? I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't believe that, but um, as, as being the investigator archetype, I look for connections. And so when I see enough connections and when I really feel like there's something here, I kind of go with it and it snowballs. And then, you know, all these different things open up and you start to see um, these things that you just didn't see before, you know, like, so I'll, I'll tie this into um, now because, because the, the, the abduction uh, phenomenon that has to do with the gray aliens like the gray uh species right so with i don't know if you know this with phoenix lights but there do you do you know who's supposed to be behind that Uh, i have no idea bro you have no idea okay 
So this is this is exciting for me because usually I'm the one who knows more of the facts than the person. <laughs> yeah. So the beings that are supposed to be behind that, yeah, um, are a civilization called the Yael, and they have certain types of ships, those triangular ships. Okay. And they have certain formations. So when you see certain sightings where you notice that just like the one that I experienced over here, well, they, they will be in threes. They'll be like in V formations. That is supposed to be that a specific civilization. And how, how do I know, how could I say like, oh, Yael, where'd you get that from? All of this information is it's coming from people. And this is where it gets really crazy is people that are like channelers or that have had experiences where they literally just like a near death experience where you come back and you feel like you had this very real experience that you can't explain, but you feel like you had it and like you received information from it because otherwise, how would we know? Like they're not on this earth. They're not on this planet. We can only know these things from encounters in different altered states that we can't explain other than this was my experience. And, um, and so there's through diff through experiences like that, where people will give that type of information, but also different channelers and stuff like that. And what have the consensus is, and if you look this up, you'll see, this isn't, this is like amongst the Yael. Do you know? Yeah. Y A H Y E L. Okay. I'll look yeah. it up. Sure. Yeah. And um, so, so here's where, here's where um, it gets really interesting, right? So these, this, these beings, um, being that, if you think about it, Phoenix Lights, the biggest sighting ever in the United States, right? They made themselves known. Like, it was super evident. Yeah. It, so do you it, think it was a bunch of ships in formation, or do you think it was one giant ship with lights? It like, from, from, because I watched the documentary recently. Yeah. I, it looked like a mothership to me. It looked like a giant one, like yeah. miles wide, like yeah. huge. And if you look at the footage, like, what do you, do you have a take on that? Because from what I saw, that's what it looks like. <laughs> but may, maybe there were other ships as well involved, but it, I think it was one big one. Mm. I, that's the thing is I, the Phoenix Lights is probably the most famous case of a mass sighting because thousands of people across the whole valley saw it. And from the documentaries I've seen, the little bit of research I've done on myself outside of the documentaries, I'm unable to find a consensus. There's a lot of people who say they saw the shape block out the stars above it, so which is evidence that it could have been one giant ship and it was just hovering. Um, yeah. But then I've also seen footage once, and it stood out to me, that's why I remember it, but I haven't been able to find it again, where one of the lights kind of zipped into place, which means that it was probably a, a smaller ship that zipped into formation. So um, I don't know. Or it could have been just going because these things like they're able to shift in and out because the, the, my girlfriend has seen a ship. I've seen the sightings here. Um, I've seen videos of the same type of ships. Um, and, and I'm talking about now these are more, I guess you would say like scout ships where it's not a mothership. Yeah. It can just pop in and out because they're, they're work. They could just pop in and out of, of different realities and dimensions. It's different technology, you know? Um, so it's tough to pinpoint it, but from what I saw, it looked like it was one kind of massive ship. And maybe they're all, I'd have to watch it again. But anyway, so here's what's, what's interesting. And of course, 
once you go down the route I'm talking about where I'm giving you names of civilizations, yeah. you're going to get stuck in a hole. It's like quicksand. Yeah, dude, you're not going to prove, like anyone that wants proof, you're not going to prove it until there's a landing, right? But this is interesting stuff. And so we'll talk about it. So the idea is, and, and there are consensus, like what's interesting is that through multiple people's experiences, and this is how we came about this idea of the gray aliens and, and their different like um, characteristics and who they are. It's all through accounts of people. That's it. They, yeah. there's, we've, we don't have anyone. We don't have an alien on this earth to talk to. We don't have an extraterrestrial to talk to. So people forget that this is all based on people's personal accounts and different information, like I said, from people that, that are able to more easily tap into it, like channelers. Mm. But in this case, with this civilization, so the consensus agreement amongst many people is that this is the actual race that we would encounter first with first contact. And the reason why, and this actually makes a lot of sense. The reason why is because they're actually most like us. They're, they, see, they are supposed to be, they have human genetics. Mm. So the idea is that if we're going to have some kind of open contact with a, a civilization, who's going to be the first one? Well, it would make sense that it would be the ones that are, we see them, we're like, oh, they're not actually that much different than us, but yeah. they're just like, they have extraterrestrial genetics. Mm. So so now, so now I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it to a really crazy level, right? And this is just, if you do research on this, I'm not saying, I'm not the type of person that says this is true belief. We are I'm, just reporters here of the show. We are reporters. We are reporters. And I, listen, I, I, always, I always tell people, do you like science fiction movies? Like, yeah, they're fun, I like them. Okay, this is the best fucking science fiction you can get because you're investigating, you're looking into people's accounts, like actual yeah. real things that- and Backed up by a lot of footage too. Yeah, by a lot of footage, by a lot of different, I mean, there's, there's this is the real sci-fi, you know? So if anything, just see it as fun entertainment. And so that's how I, I, that's how I look at it, especially when somebody is trying to question me too much, like, dude, I'm just having fun. Like, the thing that frustrates me with the, the Phoenix Lights is, <clears throat> maybe the government has covered it up so well to to where the only thing that we know about the phoenix lights that we can say for sure is here's the footage of it but that's it we we haven't heard any follow-up the government just said it was flares but flares don't hover over the entire state in formation at the same points in, in like at the same elevation and don't fall or don't go out for hours and hours right um yeah. so it couldn't have been flares but another thing like that really blew my mind. And I guess this is kind of why I asked you a few minutes ago, like what was the moment that you got deep into it is because the moment for me was, yeah, it was all fun and games. I might as well have been talking about the boogeyman or Bigfoot when I'm talking about aliens or, and thinking about it. But then I did a quick Google search and I went to CIA.gov and I realized CIA.gov through the freedom of information act has all these files, all these memos talking about flying saucers, talking about the cover up, talking about yeah. this stuff. And they, they, it's their free to look at. And one of them that really stood out to me was a memo, a CIA.gov memo that had just pages and pages of pictures 
um, of flying saucers and famous sightings. So in my head, if there's nothing to the UFO conspiracy, then why is it on CIA.gov? And, and yeah. when I look deeper into it, you find out there's actual footage that many documentaries have footage of, um, but there's footage of apparently a time in the 50s, 1952, I believe, it was right after the mass sighting over Washington, D.C., um, which you can look up, look up 1952 UFO over Washington, D.C. You'll see all the images of it. But apparently shortly after that, um, President Truman had this short period of time, like three or four hours, where he was in Southern California and he was off the books for a little bit. And so when they went back and asked him where he was, he was like, oh, I went to an emergency dentist appointment. Okay, that seems like a bullshit excuse. But then there's actual footage of apparently this flying saucer flying over the hills in California and going towards Holloman Air Force Base where he, they, they scheduled a meeting with the actual president of the United States. Now, the crazy part about this footage, and this is why it's controversial in all the documentaries that show it, is they'll show like the first... I don't know, a few seconds of the flying saucer kind of coming in, but then they cut the frame to where you don't see it actually land and then walk out. Apparently um, that used to be there from the original documentary people. And I, I'm, I'm sure maybe you've heard about this. If you have, I'd like to know your take on it. But then apparently the government came, took the footage again and then gave it back to them. And when they gave it back, the, the, the frames where it actually showed the, the flying saucer landing and then walking out was cut out of the footage. And so all you see is just like this little flying saucer, just zip. And then that's all you get. Oh, yeah. I haven't looked too much into that, but I mean, that, that is so uh, commonplace, I think. in accounts like that, you see it over and over again. And it's just a matter of just like how you went on the CIA website, this requires research. You know, I love having conversations with people that do research. Everyone should do research. You can't have a conversation about this and like be so confident in what you're saying or, or say this is the way when you have, there's so much to explore. There's so much to discover. And the rabbit hole is my second home. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. I mean, that, that's where you got to kind of live at to, um, to yeah. really enjoy this stuff. You know, I, and, I like Clark's take on it. Clark, because we're all entrepreneurial, yeah. we're all in the online information, online marketing space, copywriting, what have it. And uh, Clark was like, I don't feel bad about going down the rabbit hole because it's like, it's our way to kind of tune out from what we do day to day. Because our brain is always going yeah. and we're always diving deep into what we're doing. So it's kind of like our escape from online marketing and business, but we're just yeah. redirecting that same energy towards something that interests us, like the real life sci-fi, like what you said. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm not getting that from copywriting. Like, there's only so much excitement and outer, out of this world stuff that I'm going to encounter. And I need that as, as I continuously dive deeper into the unknown. I just keep leveling up where I, you know, after a while, once you have gone through all of like the basic evidence of, okay, so the CIA knew about this. Okay, so this is happening. Then after that, that's when you really start, you, get, you start getting into stuff like I was talking about, like looking into, okay, we don't know specifically, we don't have evidence of this race, video or photos, but you really start looking into like the potentials of what's there and like what could happen. And um, it just gets crazier, man, the more you look into it. Yeah. You know, like the, this idea that, which I think 
logically makes a lot of sense that the, 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 the individuals who we would interact with first with open contact would be just not just like us, but very similar to us. And if you think about this whole idea of the abduction phenomenon and what's going on there, well, if you really look into that, there's this idea that genetics are taken. Genetics taken from these people that are interacting with the great civilization with these different beings and what's happening that where, where is that genetics going like there's human genetics being used in these different theories and so if it's almost like it's a really cool idea if you think about it this idea that there are extraterrestrial and human genetics that have been combined and that they would be the first people that we would actually interact with with open contact because then it's almost kind of like family in a weird sort of way, you know, yeah. where it's not so far fetched because there's a similarity, there's a commonality. Mm. Mm -hmm. here's, here's where I kind of stand on the whole UFO conspiracy is like the more you look into it and, and me, I'm just trying to investigate why, what is the purpose? What, what is the real truth and what's going on? And it seems like the further in you go, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to draw conclusions based off of the same circumstantial evidence on the surface, but then you dive deeper and then that's where start stuff starts breaking off into different little tangents. And yeah, you, yeah. you really don't really know what to accept as fact or which one is more correct than the other, because now you're getting further away from the actual circumstantial evidence. But what really fascinates me is like, or what really where I come to at the end of the day is like, what does how does this affect me on a day-to-day -day basis and will i ever know the truth because i think part of my motivation obviously going deeper into it is eventually i want to learn the actual truth and figure out what's actually going on and the scary part about that is like will i ever find that out right and there's people who have spent their whole lives trying to figure this shit out and never end up doing it so i don't know kind of what, what's your take on that enjoying the hunt enjoying yeah. the the adventure you know that the journey of discovery i mean that's for me anyway because i really like i really like looking for clues and and uncovering as much as i can in a way that's exciting to me where i'm just interested to look into it and so i get what you mean um but i guess i'm trying to do everything i can to get closer and the only way that we can really get closer is if we we really open ourselves up to it and um and make an effort like with the documentary you know that you watched recently the, with regarding Stephen Greer and CE5 yeah he has a protocol and a way for people to get together to create contact to to enhance and and accelerate um the possibilities of of seeing ships and so the more that people do that like that you're you're getting accustomed to this idea of working and dealing with extraterrestrial energies and so that is what accelerates this the the potential idea of contact because otherwise if we can't even believe that there's extraterrestrials that there's aliens in the sky how can we ever how how can we ever create this idea of open contact in our realities like it's just too far it's too far away from where we are, but people are becoming more, especially as the Pentagon releases videos. Pe people are, are, are uh, 
I think the coronavirus opened up a lot of shit, like where, where a lot of people's minds, um, where I saw memes going around of, you know, well, now that the coronavirus happened, um, you know, this might as well happen next and it'll show like UFO land. So yeah. I think that's big that people are opening to it. Yeah. I almost got to wonder. So a couple things on that. I found myself so deep in the rabbit hole to where I was like, when Kobe passed away, immediately my first thought was, what did aliens have to do with this? And that's how I knew I was really deep. <laughs> but, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, obviously, I quickly overcame that belief. But um, I don't know, talking about feeling things, I just feel like what you said, Some I feel like, especially with the, the Pentagon officially acknowledging these clips that they released, and if you kind of look at the outlines and like kind of change the contrast, these are flying saucers that they're looking at, right? And yeah. and like the the gimbal video is a clear flying saucer. It's round and then it's got a little hub in the middle of it. Yeah. And then yeah, shortly after around. that, what's up? Literally spins around. It spins around. Yeah. And shortly after that, um, we get Brian's sighting, which is right here, right where the Phoenix yeah. lights happened. And he's got it right up close. And we showed that. Yeah. And, uh, yo, I went on a Reddit search and I started looking up different sightings that are recent. I figured if anywhere, if it's going to be anywhere on the internet, it's going to be on Reddit and people in South America and Australia are uploading video of the exact same thing that Brian saw. Exact same shit. Yeah. And I'm like, that's crazy. Right. Cause from, from my understanding, and this goes along with what I was talking about with the Phoenix lights, the actual ships, they have to do with they're they're usually tied a specific type of ship to a specific type of civilization. Mm. So when you see one ship and you see another, it ain't the same dude. It's just that it's like the same type of ships and, and the Phoenix lights and what I would just classify for the sake of making it easy to remember is the V shape is, is like that same civilization. Mm. So that round shape, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't looked into that that much. But. Brian tried to say it was like a flying saucer turned sideways. And I just feel like, to me, it looked like a sphere, like a concentric circles within each other. And I was like, if, that was, if I blew that out in the 3D from this 2D video, it, it would seem like a sphere because it's perfectly circle. Whereas if it was a, a flying saucer that was turned on its side, depending on your perspective, it would look like eclipse or like an oval type of shape rather than a perfect concentric circles inside of each other. Um, but I don't know, man, it, it fascinates me, not only the variety of the different types of UFO sightings that there are, but then what more fascinates me is like what you said, the connections between different ones from people who have nothing to do with each other who are across the globe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, and there's so much evidence now you just got to look for it. You just got to look at it. And if after all of that, you deny it, then so be it. It's just not for you. It's, just, it's not for everybody. It's not. There are some people that they would much rather live their entire life not even thinking that this could exist, that this could happen. And, and there's more people that are interested in extraterrestrials now. Um, but there's still, there's, there's always going to be some people that, like, it's just not for me. Yeah. And that's fine because the people that are into this, just like the people that listen to you, they find each other and it all works out where the people that want to hear, that want to talk about it, 
they end up being in the same circles, in the same, listening to the same type of things. And uh, I, I think that's enough to accelerate contact. Um, I, I think the small, however, and I, I think if, I think there's a lot of people that believe in this stuff. Um, I, have, I haven't looked at too many surveys, but I remember looking at, like seeing different survey numbers and where like 40% of people believe in at least, you know, believe in like extraterrestrial life. I mean, something like that is very significant for the, the entire population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially. Uh, and that's the thing is you got to look into this, who, who put on the survey, who was actually surveyed the demographic. But yeah, man, I feel like, especially with my channel coming on the scene recently, I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of people who are just like me or just as deep down the rabbit hole. But um, yeah, man, it's interesting to see how this all pan out. Yeah, I, well, that's the excitement of it, you know, is where you don't know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah, and man. that is, that's the rabbit hole, man. That's the definition <laughs> of the rabbit hole. You yeah. go down and you don't know what's in there and you don't know how far down it is. And you just like, just keep going. Yeah. So yeah. if there are any copywriters listening to this and you want to check out more of Mike's <laughs> stuff, um, go to swiped.co. He's got the biggest fucking resource database of just all the different best converting sales letters you'll ever want. Plus Mike's a dope guy. You want to shout out your Instagram real quick? Yeah, it's swipes.co. So it's my website. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right, guys. I think yeah. we, we're about two hours in, so we might as well just cut yeah. it here. Um, okay. I, know, I know you and I, and I say this with a lot of the people who have been on, but we could go on for hours, which just means we'll have to have you on again in the future. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I mean, this is the first interview that I've, uh, I've done like this where it wasn't just about copywriting and business. Dude, I get, I get so bored. Maybe it's just because I've consumed so much of it, but I just, I can't do that stuff. I have to be able to go anywhere where I want because I'm so ADD. Yeah. yeah, and maybe also people that, that watch this, that see you and me and just saw us before as being, you know, the dating guy, the copy guy, they realize that there's more going on here. <laughs> yeah, like you could be, you could have a business in a niche, in a space, but you could also be just as excited or more excited about these other like weird things. Like it's yeah. fine to be, it's fine to be weird. I don't think it's weird. That's the fun, funny part yeah. is the more that you like get into this, you feel like it's not weird anymore. And yeah. then, and then you're like, I don't even know what I am anymore. <laughs> yeah. And even just like, not even just aliens and UFOs, but like, there's a lot of things I'm interested in science biology sociology you know just like how someone become like the development of people's personalities anyways i think a format like this is perfect because i'm able to go out and venture into whatever i want but because it's not the dating show it's the the patrick james's podcast or whatever we can do that and i think honestly i believe this is the next wave is like a lot of people are going to be creating podcasts a lot of people are going to be able to talk about whatever they want um i don't know but either way man i'm excited for that no, and that totally like ties into what I believe about this idea of people following people, not just brands, not just yeah. this is my brand and this is what I'm going to talk about. It's like your brand is you and that is the ultimate brand. And, and if you know, um, you know enough marketing and you're, if you're savvy enough to sell stuff, you can make a living off of just being yourself. You know? yeah. 
That is, that's the yeah. inspirational message of today. Be yourself yeah. and you can do what you want. Numerology, UFOs, look into it. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you later. Research.